Come have a seat in the skull circle and hear the myth of the halcyon birds as told by Casimir. Before we begin our tale, did you know that we release new stories for free every week on Wednesdays? Be certain to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, Podbean, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. That way, you'll never miss out when we release free bonus stories other days of the week. Never forget, visit theskullcircle.com to stay up to date with all of our current happenings. And to also visit our story archive, sorted by origin and region. Now then, this begins the myth of the Halcyon Birds. Six was the king of Thessaly, where he reigned in peace, without violence or wrong. He was son of Hesperus, the Daystar, and the glow of his beauty reminded one of his father. Halcyon, the daughter of Aeolus, was his wife, and devotedly attached to him. Now Six was in deep affection for the loss of his brother, and direful prophecies following his brother's death made him feel as if the gods were hostile to him. He thought best, therefore, to make a voyage to Carlos and Ionia, to consult the oracle of Apollo. But as soon as he disclosed his attention to his wife Halcyon, a shudder ran through her frame. Her face grew deadly pale. What fault of mine, dearest husband, has turned your affection from me? Where is that love of me that used to be uppermost in your thoughts? Have you learned to feel easy in the absence of Halcyon? Would you rather have me away? She also endeavored to discourage him by describing the violence of the winds, which she had known familiarly when she lived at her home in her father's house. Aeolus, being god of the winds, did as much as he could to restrain them. They rushed together, said she, with such fury that fire flashes from the conflict. But if you must go, she added, dear husband, let me go with you. Otherwise I shall suffer not only the real evils which you must encounter, but also those which my fear suggests. These words weighed heavily on the mind of King Sex. It was no less his own wish than hers to take her with him, but he could not bear to expose her to the dangers of the sea. Therefore he answered, consoling her as well as he could, and finished with these words. I promise by the rays of my father the day star, that if fate permits, I will return before the moon shall have twice rounded her orb. When he had thus spoken, he ordered the vessel be drawn out of the ship house, and the oars and sails to be put aboard. When Halcyon saw these preparations, she shuddered, as if with a presentment of evil. With tears and sobs, she said farewell, and then fell senseless to the ground. Six would still have lingered, but now the young men grasped their oars and pulled vigorously through the waves, with long and measured strokes. Halcyon raised her streaming eyes and saw her husband standing on the deck, waving his hand to her. She answered his signal till the vessel had receded so far that she could no longer distinguish his form from the rest. When the vessel itself could no more be seen, she strained her eyes to catch the last glimmer of the sail, till that too disappeared. Then, retiring to her chamber, she threw herself on her solitary couch. Meanwhile, they glide out of the harbor, and the breeze plays upon the ropes. The seamen draw in their oars and hoist their sails. When half or less of their course has passed as night drew on, the sea began to whiten with swelling waves, and the east wind to blow a gale. The master gave the word to take in sail, but the storm forbade obedience. For such is the roar of the winds and waves, his orders are unheard. The men, of their own accord, busy themselves to secure the oars, to strengthen the ship, to reef the sail. While they thus do what each one seems best, the storm increases. The shouting of the men, the rattling of the shrouds, and the dashing of the waves mingle with the roar of the thunder, 
The swelling sea seems lifted up to the heavens to scatter its foam among the clouds, then sinking away to the bottom, assumes the color of the shoal Stygian blackness. The vessel shares all these changes. It seems like a wild beast that rushes on the spears of the hunters. Rain falls in torrents as if the sky were coming to unite with the sea. When the lightning ceases for a moment, the night seems to add its own darkness to that of the storm. Then comes the flash, rending the darkness asunder and lighting up all with a glare. Scale fails. Courage sinks and death seems to come on every wave. The men are stupefied with terror. The thought of parents and kindred and pledges left at home comes over their minds. Six thinks of Halcyon. No name but hers is on his lips. While he yearns for her, yet he rejoices in her absence. Presently the mast is shattered by a stroke of lightning. The rudder broken, and the triumphant surge curling over looks down upon the wreck, then falls and crushes it to fragments. Some of the seamen stunned by the stroke sink and rise no more. Others cling to the fragments of the wreck. Six with the hand that used to grasp the scepter holds fast to the plank, calling for help. Alas, in vain. Upon his father and his father-in-law, but oftenest on his lip was the name of Halcyon. To her his thoughts cling. He prays that the waves bear his body to her sight and that it may receive burial at her hands. At length the waters overwhelm him and he sinks. Daystar looks dim at the night. Since it could not leave the heavens, it shrouded its face with clouds. In the meanwhile, Halcyon, ignorant of these horrors, counted the days till her husband's promised return. Now she gets ready the garments which she shall put on, and now what she shall wear when he arrives. To all the gods she offers frequent incense, but more than all to Hera. For her husband, who was no more, she prayed incessantly, that he may be safe, that he might come home, that he might not, in his absence, see any one that he would love better than her. But of all these prayers, the last one was the only one destined to be granted. The goddess at length could not bear any longer to be pleaded with for one already dead, and to have hands raised to her altars that ought rather be offering funeral rites. So, calling Iris, she said, Iris, my faithful messenger, go to the drowsy dwelling of Somnus, and tell him to send a vision to Halcyon in the form of six, to make known to her the event. Iris put on her robe of many colors, and tinging the sky with her bow, seeks the palace of the king of sleep. Near the Sumerian country, a mountain cave is the abode of the dull god Somnus. Here Phobos dares not come, either rising at midday or setting. Clouds and shadows are exhaled from the ground, and the light glimmers faintly. The bird of dawning with crested head never there calls aloud to Aurora, nor more sagacious goose disturbs the silence. No wild beast, nor cattle, nor branch moved with the wind, nor sound of human conversation breaks the stillness. Silence reigns there, but from the bottom of the rock the river Lethe flows, and by its murmur invites to sleep. Poppies grow abundantly here, before the door of the cave, and other herbs from whose juices night collects slumber, which she scatters over the darkened earth. There is no gate to the mansion to creak on its hinges, nor any watchman, but in the mist a couch of black ebony adorned with black plumes and black curtains. There the god reclines, in his limbs relaxed with sleep. Around him lie dreams resembling various forms, as many as the harvest bears stalks, or the forest leaves, or the seashore sand grains. 
As soon as the goddess entered and brushed away the dreams that hovered around her, her brightness lit up all the cave. The god, scarce opening his eyes, and ever and anon dropping his beard upon his breast, at last shook himself free from himself. Leaning on his arm, he inquired her her errand, for he knew who she was. She answered, Somnus, gentlest of the gods, tranquilizer of minds, and soother of careworn hearts. Hera sends you her commands that you dispatch a dream to Halcyon, in the city of Trachine, representing her lost husband and all the events of the wreck. Having delivered her message, Iris hasted away, for she could no longer endure the stagnant air, and as she felt drowsiness creeping over her, she made her escape, and returned by her bow the way she came. Then Somnus called upon one of his numerous sons, Morpheus, the most expert in counterfeiting forms, and in imitating the walk, the countenance, and even mode of speaking, even the clothes and attitudes most characteristic of each. But he only imitates men, leaving it to another to impersonate birds, beasts, and serpents. Him they call Icelos, and Phantasos is a third, who turns himself into rocks, waters, woods, and other things without life. These wait upon kings and great personage in their sleeping hours, while others move among the common people. Somnus chose from all the brothers Morpheus to perform the command of Iris, then laid his head upon his pillow and yielded himself to grateful repose. Morpheus flew, making no noise with his wings, and soon came upon the Hemonian city, where laying aside his wings he assumed the form of six, under that form but pale like a dead man. Naked, he stood before the couch of the wretched wife. His beard seemed soaked with water, and water trickled from his drowning locks. Leaning over the bed, tears streaming from his eyes, he said, Do you recognize your sick, unhappy wife? Or has death too much changed my visage? Behold me, know me, your husband's shade, instead of himself. Your prayers, Halcyon, availed me nothing. I am dead. No more deceive yourself with vain hopes of my return. The storm winds sunk my ship in the Aegean Sea. Waves filled my mouth while it called aloud for you. No uncertain messenger tells you this. No vague rumor brings it to your ears. I come in person, a shipwrecked man, to tell you my fate. Arise, give me tears, give me lamentations. Let me not go down to Tartarus unwept. To these words Morpheus added the voice which seemed to be that of her husband. He seemed to pour forth genuine tears. His hands had the gestures of six. Halcyon, weeping, groaned, and stretched her arms in her sleep, striving to embrace his body, but grasping only the air. Stay, she cried. Whither do you fly? Let us go together. Her own voice awakened her. Starting up, she gazed eagerly around to see if he was still present, for the servants, alarmed by her cries, had brought a light. When she found him not, she smote her breast and rent her garments. She cares not to unbind her hair, but tears it wildly. Her nurse asks her what the cause of her grief. Halcyon is no more, she answers. She perishes with her six. Utter not words of comfort, he is shipwrecked and dead. I have seen him, I have recognized him. I stretched out my hands to seize him and detain him. His shade vanished, but it was the true shade of my husband. Not with the accustomed featured, nor with the beauty that was his, but pale, naked, and with hair wet with seawater. He appeared too wretched to me. He appeared wretched to me. Here in this very spot the sad vision stood. 
and she looked to find the spot of his footsteps. This it was, this that my presaging mind foreboded when I implored him not to leave me, to trust himself to the waves. Oh, how I wish, since thou wouldst go, that thou hadst taken me with thee. It would have been far better than I should have known no remnant of life to spare without thee, nor a separate death to die. If I could bear to live and struggle to endure, I should be more cruel to myself than the sea had been to me. But I will not struggle. I will not be separated from thee, unhappy husband. This time, at least, I will keep thee company in death. If one tomb may not include us, one epitaph shall. If I may not lay my ashes with thine, my name at least shall not be separated. Her grief forbade more words, and these were broken with tears and sobs. It was now morning. She went to the seashore and sought the spot where she saw him on his departure. While he lingered here and cast off his tackling, he gave me his last kiss. While she reviewed every object and strives to recall every incident, looking out over the sea, she descries an indistinct object floating in the water. At first, she was in doubt what it was, but by degrees the waves bore it nearer, and it was plainly the body of a man. Though unknowing of whom, as it was of some shipwrecked one, she was deeply moved and gave it her tears, saying, Alas, unhappy one and unhappy, if such there be thy wife, Born by the waves, it came nearer. As she more and more nearly views it, she trembles more and more. Now, now it approaches the shore. Now Mark, she recognizes, it appears. It is her husband. Stretching out her trembling hands towards it, she exclaims, O oh, dearest husband, is it thus you return to me? There was built out from the shore a mole, constructed to break the assault of the sea and stem its violent ingress. She leapt upon this barrier and it was wonderful that she could do so. She flew, and striking the air with wings produced on the instant, skimmed along the surface an unhappy bird. As she flew, her throat poured forth sounds full of grief, and like the voice of one lamenting, when she touched the mute and bloodless body, she enfolded its beloved limbs in her newly formed wings, and tried to give kisses with her horny beak. Whether Six felt it, or whether it was only the action of the waves, those who looked on doubted, but the body seemed to raise its head. But indeed, he did feel it, and by the pitying gods, both of them were changed into birds. They mate and have their young ones. For seven placid days in wintertime, Halcyon broods over her nest, which floats upon the sea. Then the way is safe to seamen. Aeolus guards the winds, keeping them from disturbing the deep. The sea is given up for the time to his grandchildren. And that is the myth of the Halcyon Birds. Thank you for listening to our story. If you enjoyed it, please take a look at our Patreon page to learn how you can earn great rewards while also supporting us. We appreciate even the smallest of contributions as they allow us to continue to release new stories for free every week on Wednesdays. As they allow us to continue to release new stories every week for free on Wednesdays. And also to provide bonus stories for your listening pleasure. Visit us at thescaldcircle.com to view our story archive sorted by origin and region, and to stay up to date with all of our current developments. Once again, thank you for listening to our story.